All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This is Running Analysis with Kimberly Gandler. Again, where to focus and what to look past. Dr. Mark Knobloch is hosting the interview. We are live at the Sports Medicine Update. Again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash running analysis. So, Dr. Knobloch, welcome. Kimberly, welcome back to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Thank you. So, Kim, great talk. Very Thank exciting. Uh, I love I love the science part of it when you actually talk numbers instead of just anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Could you just give a little bit of a background, kind of where you come from, uh, your expertise areas related to specifically running, mm-hmm. form, gait, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so my degree is in bioengineering, biomechanics specifically from Arizona State, undergrad and master's. But I've been here at the Ironman for 15 years working with runners and triathletes and looking at all this stuff. Um, so I like to just kind of look at, like I said in the talk, I like to look at these athletes kind of and knowing my numbers and knowing what I know, but also treating them as case studies because it's honestly, every day is different. Every athlete's completely different. And so you're always, I mean, I feel like I have never stopped learning since I started here. You know, you're always learning new things about running. Things are always changing too in terms of shoes and things like that. So in Arizona State, was I believe one of the top party schools? You didn't know anything about that, right? <laughs> Never, no, nothing okay, about you that. Were not Only involved. you were always in the books. In the books. Yep, always in the engineering library. <laughs> Never left it. <laughs> right. So one of the things um, you hear a lot about are shoes, mm-hmm. and you talked a lot about gait, knee position, etc. Mm-hmm. How do so? I can go to Academy. I can go to any sporting goods store. I can buy the thirty dollars shoes. I can buy the hundred fifty dollars shoes. Is there a difference in your opinion? Um, based on the average runner obviously you know Mm -hmm. marathoners they're gonna have custom-made shoes but average runner goes in can you talk a little about running shoes what to look for what is what does matter what doesn't matter you know obviously colors and things don't matter but what about what do they want to look for in a running shoe for the average runner that wants to go out there yeah this is a hard one because honestly over the years i mean it just it is continuously changing um, there's more and more shoes coming out. Uh, I will say that if you're going to run no matter what, I think it's a good idea to go to like a run specific shoe store, um, and really get an understanding of your foot or do something like the gait analysis. Um, but really understand how your foot's moving, um, and how, what kind of support you do need. So, um, we all have, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of misconception that's gotten maybe better over the years, but you know, a lot of us think I have a flat foot, so I need a stability shoe. And that's really not true. It's not about the shape of your foot. It's about the structure and the strength of your foot. Um, so understanding that and knowing what, like I mentioned in the talk, like if your pronation is an important part of our gait cycle. So we need that for shock absorption. And if we're putting ourselves in too high of a stability shoe and we're taking away that shock absorption, a lot of people, it used to be the only reason people got shin splints was because they were running in too little support of a shoe, like the barefoot running movement. Mm -hmm. That was a huge thing, that and Achilles stuff. Now it's almost like swung the other direction that people now are putting, you know, or if it's a bigger person, they go and people say, oh, you need a stability shoe because you're a big person. That doesn't matter about your structure of your foot. So I think going somewhere where there's educated people that know how to... Even if you just want to run three miles a few days a week, you're setting yourself up for a lot more success. If you're in a comfortable, well-fit shoe, mm-hmm. you may someday want to run a marathon. But if you're not in a good shoe, I can tell you, you're not gonna you're not gonna love it. And just 
and I don't mean to advertise here, but in Houston, like Fleet Feet, yep. they do the actual video analysis, if I remember right, and then match you up based on that. Yeah, so they do kind of a variety of things. Like they have a little foot scanner. They watch you walk. They do have a treadmill so you can be trying out the shoes. And their their people are knowledgeable about mm-hmm. how the feet works. Um, there's another run-on in downtown area. There's another place out here in Katy drawing a blade. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't like to think of sleep, but you do recommend <laughs> don't just go buy your yeah. shoe. Go and if you're in, invest in your health, mm-hmm. go and actually get your gait analyzed. Yeah. And now, do you do that at Memorial? We Herman? do. We you, do. You, a, they just could go a cash pay gait analysis. You can you come in, pay a hundred bucks, get the video. We'll measure your angles. Like I said, whether you're injured or not, we'll give you some tips on how to, <clears> you know, go out there and run more successfully. Maybe enjoy it. If you absolutely hate it, like if you started running right now in Houston, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I personally don't even want to run right now. So you may be like, no, this is not for me. But maybe wait till the fall mm-hmm. when the weather's a little nice and you actually want to be outside. That's a good time but to yeah, start. And, and, and it's definitely worth it because you actually get the shoe matched up to your style, not yeah. you're trying to pick a shoe because it looks cool. So yeah. along those lines, uh, you mentioned this and I want to hit on it because it's it really became big in the last six, seven years. Maximalist shoes minimalist shoes and traditional shoes mm-hmm. minimalist shoes are the if you see them they have the for their listeners they have the you can see individual toes on them and they're really they they they're really like just adding another skin on your shoe or on your foot maximalist shoes you got the hoka one one and things like that and that became really big and when i was in the triathlon side mm-hmm. and everybody was loving them and they kind of seemed to fade away a little bit and they're going back towards that what are your thoughts on minimalist versus maximalist versus just a traditional running shoe yeah, so you're talking more cushion than support. Mm-hmm. So ver- versus that minimalist maximalist, there's also kind of your minimalist um, in terms of support level, like stability, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But in terms of cushion wise, um, I think it's honestly a little bit of personal preference. Um, so, but I, per- I, and I'm pretty sure Vibram's not even around anymore, but the, I do not, we live in Houston and whether you live, think about your terrain that you're running on, no matter where you live. If you are running on concrete, you need cushion. Like bottom line, your bones mm-hmm. cannot sustain those forces. If you're running on, you know, perfect turf grass that's very soft and cushiony, then maybe something in that kind of minimalist is okay. But think about your terrain. If you're trail running, you really need a trail running shoe. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that you have some protection from that ground. Um, so ultimately at the end of the day, you want to think about your terrain. The other thing that you really want to think about the difference doesn't necessarily correlate with that, um, cushion level because Hoka's have a pretty low heel to toe drop as do something like your Merrell's or something like that. And they have very different levels of cushioning. Um, but heel to toe drop is a really important thing. So if you're going from a traditional older style shoe that has a nine to 11 millimeter heel to toe drop, and all of a sudden you go out and buy an ultra shoe. That is zero millimeters. That's a huge load on your t- like Achilles tendon. Yeah, because it stretches it out exactly. every time. So you really need to think about that, and you really need to make that progression kind of lowering in your heel-to-toe drop. So make sure that you understand like what your heel-to-toe drop is initially and what you're moving towards. I usually tell my athletes not to drop more than a couple millimeters at a time. Or if you're going to make a big extreme change, then you need to essentially say, I'm a brand-new runner. I run... I'm just starting out a progression. So I run a mile. That's it. Don't run more. (laughs) Then do that the next day. Maybe do that for a week. Then slowly build up your mileage because your body has to adjust to Mm -hmm. that change. So in your talk, you talked a lot about running or gait form, Mm -hmm. gait style. You talked about the 180 degrees isn't really what you want. And you Mm -hmm. talked about midfoot running. 
So my question is, when you have shoes designed for how you run, you like Newtons are designed for midfoot runners. Is that what you recommend or do you recommend they get off of the midfoot running and become a correct gait runner? So how do you balance buying a shoe for your running style or fixing your running style to the correct style and then buying a shoe? A hundred percent. You need to change your form before you change your shoe. So, um, I, I honestly haven't talked about that in a few years, but it, it was a huge when they, when all those ones first came out mm-hmm. and everybody, the marketing companies for those shoes were excellent. They <laughs> made you believe a hundred percent. This shoe is magic. If you put this on your foot, your foot strike will change like that. Mm-hmm. And obviously that was not the case. And so, yeah, I always coach my athletes. Like you need to make those changes. You need to be able to adjust that stride. You need to change that before you jump to that shoe. You cannot believe that if you put that shoe on, it's magically going to change your mm-hmm. stride. So, yeah. And, and along those lines, you talked about something that was interesting is what do you tell those athletes that you are even recreational, that they have terrible running form and they may run five or six miles, but they're not hurt. And their, their argument is like, I'm not going to change anything. I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah. And so how do you, what are your, what, what do you, um, do you, do you flat out tell them you're going to get hurt? Do you say, I understand, but here's what's probably going to happen. How do you, how do you recommend we talk to those athletes that we see as terrible running form, but don't have any injuries at the moment? Yeah, I think, um, I definitely don't tell them you're going to get injured, but I do, it's a hard one because it really depends on your level of athlete too, right? So if you have a really elite athlete that looks like crap, I mean, I wouldn't be the one to change them because I don't want to mess up their time and be the one that ruins their race. But at the same time, that's where I really think the strengthening can come in. And again, that's a hard sell for these athletes. But if you can highlight that with making them do minor tasks like a single leg squat and things like that and they're falling over, I think you can get a little bit more buy-in and maybe if you can show them some video. And I kind of make an explanation, even for my marathoners, like it's just a matter of time. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but you could step off a curve wrong one day and from then on out you're you're not going to be able to run the same level. So But if you're reinforcing with strength and you are highlighting, you know, making sure that you have that strength to handle these forces, then that's less likely to happen. But really focusing on the strength and not trying to make any specific form changes unless there's something like really extreme and that's already correlated with injury or just, I mean, an extreme heel strike. I would coach them, assuming it is an adult, not a young athlete, but to start making small changes like, Mm -hmm. hey, it's not going to be the end of the world tomorrow, but you could start working towards this. And I, I liked something you mentioned in your talk. If you wanted to, you could find something wrong with every runner oh, out yeah, there, for sure. but you don't have to, you don't yeah. have to. So what do you, so for the, for what, what commonly called the uh, late onset runner, mm-hmm. mid thirties, mm-hmm. mid forties, what do you see either injury wise or running form? If somebody says, you know, I'm 35 and my cholesterol is too high and I, I, I really want to get down 30 pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what do you typically see wrong with them um, alongside probably they're not going to get an, getting analyzed and matching up the right shoe, but you know, do you see common problems in those individuals, but uh, hopefully it's still beneficial for them to go run. But what do you typically see in, in an older individual who doesn't have a running coach and things like that? Um, you know, to be honest, a lot of those people that pick it up later tend to be a little better just because they naturally kind of go to what feels better on their mm-hmm. body 
versus younger athletes or people that ran in college, maybe were sprinters and now they're trying to be distance. They have a harder time because they have this like habits ingrained mm -hmm. in them that you're trying to change. Like, Hey, you're not running sprints anymore. We're running a marathon. Um, so those ones are almost harder to change. Whereas kind of, if you're just generalizing kind of a, a heavier set person, they're going to do what feels a little better on them, um, naturally. So again, getting them in the right shoes. I also, I'm a big proponent of like, you don't have to go run if you don't enjoy it. There's other great ways to lose weight. And if you find that you really enjoy running, then, then get to that point and use that as your tool. But there's other forms of cardio and other ways, you know, physiologically, we actually want to be doing lower intensity exercise. So you also shouldn't be going out there and trying to race the guy next to you. Mm -hmm. If you're truly trying to lose weight, you should just be out there at a conversational, easy, sustainable pace. And you're trying to add time for calories burned, not um, intensity efforts. So I think that's a hard one because a lot of us just think, hey, I want to go out and I don't like this pace I feel good running at, but I, I think I need to be at that guy's mm -hmm. pace. And that's a kind of a slippery slope for and, some of and us. And I think a lot of people think that if you run a marathon, quote, you have to run from start to finish and you can actually walk. Yeah. You know, you can walk for, you know, a mile or three miles. And so you don't have to yeah. run. You know, I'd say there's a difference between completing a marathon and running a marathon. Some people do run a marathon. Yeah. Most people complete it, but they don't ever, you know, nobody sees yeah. them walking and everything. So, Well, and a marathoner is a side note, but a lot of times first-time marathoners that sign up to lose weight don't end up losing weight because we also think it's a free pass to, and I mean, I've been there. To eat more. To eat more. <laughs> and so we end up just not doing ourselves any favors because we're trying so hard to hit that distance. Mm -hmm. So sometimes starting with a more sustainable distance and getting our health in general as a big picture, our nutrition, right? That kind of stuff that mm -hmm. helps us lose weight. How do you, how do you tell new people to make running fun? I mean, they look at it as they have to lose weight and they, it's hot and everything. And do you have any, any tips for making it fun for them? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I tell them if you don't love it, don't do it. Honestly, mm -hmm. like I want my athletes. Cause I also, like I said, do the exercise fizz side. So I don't think running is a requirement. I think you find something that you can, you enjoy doing that you are able to do four five, six days a week and enjoy it and come out and do it the next day. If you feel like someone is forcing you to do something, then it's not a sustainable, healthy lifestyle. So if you prefer walking or you prefer cycling or you prefer, I think just find what you love and that you feel like you could go do and are motivated to go do and that strengthening. I mean, strengthening is important too. I'll be admit, I was a cardio junkie for years and years and years. And after three kids, my body hated <laughs> running. Like it was just miserable. And so I really switched. I finally was like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to like strengthening. And I mean, it's, it's a game changer. Once you really can feel how to run strong and how to feel good. Um, I was, I wasn't as much of a, practice what you preach for a long time. And I learned the hard way <laughs> that you, it matters. Yeah. And it's actually a really interesting point that females especially mm -hmm. may go through physiological mm -hmm. changes that alter their running yep. biomechanics. Yeah. And so everything feels different. It's yeah. Like, well, I'm, 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 I believe you anyway. <laughs> I, I can't say, you. yeah, you're right. But I believe you. <laughs> yeah. So it's an interesting thing. And so, yeah. And this, you made a great point too. This is not the time of the year to say, I'm yeah. going to go start running in Houston because you're going to last a day. Yeah. You're going to exactly. last about a third of the way through your first yeah. run and say, this is not what I wanted. It's horrible. But, you know, adjusting time and, and you know, direct sunlight and, and mm -hmm. the humidity plays yeah. into the, all that. But um, uh, I I think that was a uh, that's a wrap for us. So all I appreciate right. your talk. I yeah. think you got some great information and what um, all so many of us are clinically trained. And so when you start talking about angles and numbers, mm -hmm. it really puts a different aspect on 
on what athletic trainers can look for. And so, um, all right. So Kim, if somebody wants to reach out, get a hold of you, I know you mentioned the hundred dollar cash pay mm-hmm. uh, gate analysis. Somebody wants to find out more about that or connect with you. How are they going to do that? Um, and you can always email me, uh, Kimberly.Gandler at memorialherman.org or go to our website. There's like a, the ironman.memorialherman.org under human performance has all our different services and you can send in a website request, which I'll receive on that as well. So if you have any interest, I have a team of great people. Brett talked earlier, diet, one of our, my dietitians, we have strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, there's another biomechanist on our team that does this stuff as well. So we'd love to help you guys out. Fantastic. Dr. Mark Knobleck, someone wants to get hold of you. Email uh, M-A-K-N-O-B-L-A at central.uh.edu, or you can just search for University of Houston Master Athletic Training Program. Click on faculty. This is Jeremy Jackson, the sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash running analysis with Kimberly Gandler live from the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update 2022. Thanks for joining us. And that is a wrap.